Hi friends, and welcome to the Relove and Rise podcast. I am your host, Amanda Gazzola, former busy bee chasing her dreams to an energizing self-love advocate. I want the kind of life that has fun, ease, joy, and flow, which is why each week I will bring you an episode that will help you move forward to building the life that you want so that you can elevate and soar. So get ready with me and join me as we take one step forward in that direction today. So this week is National Infertility Awareness Week, and I thought I would do a special episode with my wonderful husband, Kevin, uh, to just basically acknowledge everyone that is struggling with infertility. Um, I really wanted to do something that was special and from the heart and just basically talk about our story a little bit, how we dealt and coped with it. And if anyone's struggling right now, I just want you to know that it is not an easy road and it's one that takes a lot of heartache. It takes a lot of compassion. It takes a lot of being honest with yourself. And at the, at the end of it, not giving up on yourself, no matter what the outcome is. And um, without further ado, I just wanted to bring in Kevin to this episode. Hi, Kevin. Hello. Thank you for having me. I really want to thank you from the bottom of my heart for doing this with me, because I know that you're not one to talk about your feelings when it comes to infertility or when it comes to anything that we really do together. <laughs> you like to definitely, you're a little bit more of a closed book, but at the end of the day, this is about, you know, sharing people our story and sharing with them, you know, our struggles because it wasn't easy. And I think it's really going to help people from a perspective, a guy's perspective, because obviously as a woman, I'm a little bit more in the emotional sensitive side, which we, which is good. You know, it's good to be in, t- in tune with that. But at the same, at the end of the day, you're on more of the logical, analytical, technical, this is what we need to do. How can I like really help someone through this? Like that was more of your role in this. Yeah, definitely. I'd say I'm more of the, on the clinical side than you. And I really took a role to, you know, translate what the doctors are saying, look into the things and really act as a a support to you primarily for sure. Did you know that you had to do that right from the get-go? Act as like a translator almost, or like in what capacity? Maybe a translator, but also that you know, that you would have to be that person to like, know that I needed to be consoled and stuff. Did you know that like, that's what you would have to do? Or were you feeling any of like the, oh man, like I didn't know that this was going to be our road. Like I had no idea that this is uh, the route that we were going. Um, well, of course I didn't know that that was the route that we were going when all of this first started. I mean, it is quite a shock because you you never imagined that for yourself or for us as, as a couple, that that would be the, the long road that we would have to go down. Um, did I know that I would have to fulfill that role for us? Um, I would say yes, that I, I knew that that's, that's my position and that's sort of my strength in, in our relationship. Um, it's, it is the role that I, I tend to play. So yeah, I would say yes. Mm. So I'm going to peel back this onion a little bit. And basically how it started was like, 
2018, 2000, we were starting to try in 2016, just after my competition. I know that. And then a couple of years went by and we had not, nothing had happened yet. And so I saw my naturopath, Elizabeth Sheverty put something on Facebook that she was doing like um, an infertility, some sort of like package challenge uh, that was free at the time, you know, just giving like an idea of like, you know, if you're doing this and this, like and this, like pretty much, you know, this is how, like what you need to do to get your body ready and fertile. And I saw that, like, I was pretty much doing almost everything. So I messaged and said, listen, like I'm doing pretty much everything that you're saying and nothing is happening. So from that, she invited me in for a consultation to talk about it a little bit more. And with that, we started working more on my period because I realized that my period, when it would come, I would break out into the craziest night sweats where I would be soaking through my sheets, soaking through my clothes, and I'd have to change during the evening and stuff like that. So from that, and then my pain, my periods were really painful. I didn't have endometriosis or anything, but they were definitely painful to like where I needed to take Advil probably the whole day to get through a day. And so we did a lot of tinctures and she worked with a lot of bot botanicals and we got to the point where my periods weren't painful. If anything, I was waiting to take Advil and realized that I did not need to do that. So when we got that all going, we, my body started regulating. My night sweats were at a more of a minimal where they weren't even happening. And then from there, uh, we started really working and working with her in regards to fertility. And I did a program that she put together um, to, you know, get my body ready with that and nothing was happening from that. So in that she started referring us out to a fertility clinic. And that's when I started learning a lot more about my body and started learning that I basically, I ovulated every other month, um, because one part of my, what's it, my fallopian tube? Um, I wouldn't say that you ovulated every other month, but it appears that one of your fallopian tubes maybe have like a blockage kind of that's right that's so right. so on that month when you ovulated from that side the chances of pregnancy during that month were quite low or, or non-existent so really every other month was even our shot there yeah that's right and this is something you can look into further but our doctor told us like that not to really worry about that because I think it would have resulted in surgery or something like that, where they would have to do that. I think it was something like they would have to do surgery to look into that. And because we can work with the other side, he would have rather done it that way. Yeah. To be honest, I, after they did the testing on that, I don't think anything was very concrete about it. And I think at that time, we kind of already knew that we were probably going to have to go the IVF route. So they weren't too concerned about it anyways, because we were going to do direct implantation. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Yeah. So this is like when I believe it came more real for us that this was going to be our, the way that we conceived our baby. And at first, like it just felt one, I had two mixed feelings. One, it was nice to know that it what like, that I wasn't, it wasn't just me, like in the sense that like, you know, we had finally some answers that were happening, 
but then two, it felt like I was just one that you wish that it could be a little bit more glamorous where it could just be that spontaneous sporadic, like, Oh, we get to, we get to do this. Like we get to have a baby, but at the, in the end of the day, it was one less thing that like, it just felt like it felt good to have help and have some answers finally. Yeah. I'd say at the beginning or in the early stages of working with the clinic, I would say that we never really got a very clear answer on why we were having so much difficulty. Like we, my sperm was tested multiple times. Sometimes it was good. Sometimes I was bad. Um, it just seemed like test variability to me. And same with you. I mean, they had, they, they did mention the problem with the one side, but even that it, it didn't seem very concrete. So we never really got a good clear answer as to no, definitely Why? not. Like, it's not that I had PCOS or endometriosis no. or any of that. There was nothing like that. There was nothing, nothing labeled. Mm -hmm. Def definitely. Mm -hmm. So from that, like, and then we did our, we did a retrieval. Um, we had, we had to like do a lot of shots in regards to that. So there was a lot of estrogen, um, you know, I was taking progesterone shots, uh, mm -hmm. in between. And this was like, you know, you're working your way up. So at least, at least like you're doing it like every single day, the progesterone shot, and then you're taking one to two estrogen pills. And so the hormones, how were they kind of like overall? Yeah. I'm, there was lots of times where like, <laughs> It feels awful to give you the needle because of, of your reaction. I felt obviously you're the one taking the needle, so it's worse for you. But sometimes I felt it like it was really terrible for me, too. <laughs> and with that, like they tell you like to ice it, which I totally suggest that you do ice like because it's in there like your back area, your butt area. So oh, definitely first, icing helps. The first ones were in your stomach. Yeah. For, well, for the yes, the because we're area. Yeah. yeah the, because we wanted to get the, well, that was for the follicles, right? Mm -hmm, we're yes. trying to, because when you're going down the IVF route, we're, you're, you're working with your follicles because you're trying to get them to a certain size for when they're doing the egg retrieval. And you're trying to get to that whole idea of maturing that the maturing your eggs pretty much, right? Like when they're putting the egg and sperm together, you want your follicles so big that when they're putting the egg and sperm together, they can, mature like they're looking for that blastopsis oh kevin the science guy is going to come in well it starts off with the egg retrieval we're giving you uh or they're giving you i guess or i'm giving you a large dose of hormones so that your follicles grow mm -hmm. they want more follicles to grow i mean normally only one follicle grows and then you ovulate right yeah but i had what like at least like third i think you had 13 something like or that. 14 that grew to um the size that was required for the retrieval. for them to be considered mature for retrieval that's yeah. right yes mm -hmm. and so that's and then from there you want as many as you possibly can because the whole idea is not all 13 are going to mature like not all 13 are going to make it to that stage where you have that embryo if you're lucky, you have around, like, I'm going to just put up a number here. I'd say in the one to eight, you're lucky if you have eight, like at least. Um, and then from there, you're hoping that like the 
they get to a good size. And from that, you have to do a what we had to do that's not covered by the government is genetic testing. And the genetic testing enables you to them to like look at the embryo to make sure that it's a good embryo and that there's nothing wrong with the embryo. Definitely, definitely. Um, again, I mean, I'm the analytical, logical type. So maybe it's not the, always the best to be that way, to be like I, uh, for compassion and all that. But I did find that the IVF and the way that it works is very much a statistics. Yes, it's all science game. and numbers. Yes. Yeah. It so, could change next time for myself. Like it could be completely different. Yeah. And it's different for everybody. Yes. So it's definitely a, a numbers game. That's why they want you to start off with as many embryos or uh, follicles as possible. I mean, anyone that, that's gone through this process knows the numbers when you talk to them like how many did you retrieve how many what were the size yeah what were the size how how many millimeters were there um you know how many matured to an embryo they all of these types of things so. and it's nerve-wracking like after the the egg retrieval yeah definitely you're sore after and whatnot um but like in those next like five to seven days like you're basically you're waiting by the phone because you want to make sure like yes you had 13 they retrieved 13 um eggs from you and you're wanting to make sure like that like it's translating to good numbers so that like at least you have that that bank of um, embryos. So like, just say if you get pregnant with the one, then you have like a few others, if you wanted to have multiple uh, little people in your family. And so with myself, I ended up only having four embryos. And from that genetic testing, um, this is where it got really crushed down with like hope is that I only had one good embryo because the, the, what was wrong with, like, I forget the name of it, but they said that the sure. other three, um, embryos, the chromosomes were all over the place or something. Sure. Yeah. And this, this is why, again, I say it, it's like a statistics game. And in some cases we were unlucky and, but in other cases, obviously we were lucky because we started with 13 or 14, um, and then only four matured. made it to maturity. Yeah, yeah. it's only four matured. And then at, at that point, they did some genetic testing on the cells. And there were some, I, I'm not sure the term they use, it would be like a chromosome aberration, like um, missing parts of the chromosome, things like that. And we ended up with only one embryo which... that was good to go after all of that, which was, at the time was a soul crushing type yeah. of feeling because you literally have all your eggs in yeah. one basket and it just felt like no like it didn't feel hopeful at all even though you know that's all you need is the one and you're you know you, people around you are reminding you of that but it just like felt so scary you know, it was definitely scary and I remember like just looking up the numbers about like well how often is a an implantation successful mm -hmm. and everything and obviously having more than one shot at it like would just give you that extra little boost that if something were to go wrong at least we would have a backup but in this case it was yeah yeah we're our only shot without actually going through the entire process all over again 
Mm-hmm. Yeah. So that was tough. We found that out in December, just before Christmas. And so it was, the emotions were high at that point. And then from there, lead us into 2020. Uh, we ended up, what we ended up doing is that like, because I only have the one good embryo, now they want to make sure that when they implant it, that, um, that the, I don't know what the thing is called, but like in your uterus, like they're doing, they wanted to check to make sure that like the bed that they they put the embryo in is good. Yeah. They they wanted to check the lining. Yeah. My uterine Um, lining. That's it. Yeah. So just to make sure that it was receptive for implantation, you're on different cocktail of, of hormones and everything so that they would know the exact basically the exact day and I think even time to implant and making sure that also that there's like, they checked also for like making sure that there's no, I don't know what bacteria, bacteria, certain bacteria like that. It's my, basically they want to make sure that my uterine lining was receptive. So they had to do a couple tests on that where they're taking, um, going through the the vagina is going through the cervix, taking a bit of tissue and doing, and just checking it and making sure. And that, definitely not comfortable and not pleasant, but at the same time, like you're wanting to do everything you can, because again, what's going through your head is like, this is like my one shot at this point. So you want to make sure that you're giving it all, but it's not easy. Definitely not easy. It's mentally draining. And it's just one of those, like, I'm happy that I had, you know, the support I did, especially with your partner, because him learning how to deal and cope with my emotions when I'm trying to understand and cope with them. I'm not like all these new feelings are rising through me. There's a lot of fear and anxiety because it's the fear of the unknown. It's not, it's painful and it's, you know, very, what's that word? It's very abrasive. This whole, this, everything that you're feeling, it's like, there's a lot of pain in your heart there's a lot of pain in your body and at the same time you're trying you're just trying to get through the day doing the best that you can and not thinking about you know what your next steps are you want to be present there's all these feelings that are going through your head so like knowing that your role was to like you know console myself and some of that like there'd be days I'd be crying to you over like the phone and like just just share with you that like I'm frustrated or I'm angry and that like you know why does this have to happen to me like how when you had those calls especially when you know, there are more hormones talking than normal like how like did it did it aggravate you or were you just like in the moment like oh like Amanda needs me right now so how can I help her yeah definitely not aggravated <laughs> <laughs> I don't know um the way that it was basically like a, a call to action for me, I guess. Um, you know, it was my role to be your support. And um, it was definitely a roller coaster of emotions the, this whole time of, of, you know, pain emotionally and physically, like you said. And it, those days, it, it really sucked to be the one to have to give you the needle again when you're, you're already so sore. Um, but to really raise you up, it, it was just good to remind you of why we're, we were doing this, um, to focus on that, the goal at the end of the day, why, why we're going through this entire roller coaster. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. 
do you feel, did you feel like any, for me, like I definitely know I got to this point sometimes where I felt like resentment with my body, like, just like, because I just felt like, you know, I did this to myself and I felt like I put us in this position. Did you feel any of that emotion or feelings or is it just like one of those like oh this is what I need to do like I'm not this is my my wife like I gotta support her no matter what I don't resent what we're going through Mm -hmm. definitely I I get where you're coming from there and I I think it's probably very easy for you and maybe for other women to to feel that way that it's um it's something that you did or or resenting your body it's not it's working against you, these types of things, but I definitely never felt that way. Um, I don't think I would ever feel that, that way about it. Um, Not only because we don't, we still don't know exactly what the problem is. We were never given a clear indication, but even if we did, you know, it's, it's life. We're together and we're in this together for the long haul. And we, we just have to move forward. It's lucky that we, we have the type of medicine that we do and we have the ability to do this. So we, let's take advantage of it. So then we get to the next part where, you know, we have our, we find that like the uterine lining is good. We got the numbers and then COVID happened. And then it's like all, all things like where we were supposed to have our embryo transfer was in April, March, we find out we have COVID and we're put on the waiting list again. How did that make you feel? Well, it was, it was hard to swallow that news because you've been building up a moment for so long. I mean, there's obviously a lot of anticipation, a lot of excitement about it. Um, Also, I mean, at the time, you're definitely thinking, oh, my God, there's going to be so many more needles when we have to ramp this back up again. That's always a thought that that's going through. And anybody, again, that's been through it knows how many needles there are and how it consumes a lot of your your thoughts yeah waking up and like knowing that's the first thing you have to do during the day is like (laughs) yeah so because you know everything is a cycle and you have to maintain these hormone levels so to to be told that you've you've been doing it for so long leading up to a moment and then that moment is canceled and you're going to have to do it all over again is is really disheartening i guess i would i would say mm-hmm. <laughs> it definitely was disheartening i again it's a lot of the you have you have to feel the emotions you can't just be like oh okay and like you just think like whatever like that that doesn't happen but i definitely i felt it where i just like you know tears came into my eyes because like exactly what kevin said you're building this moment you are looking at the timeline of like okay well if we have it in april then like you know then you're like planning like okay this is like when the baby's gonna be born and blah 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 like just like you have all these moments built in your head of like how you think everything's going to go. And that's partially why they tell you not to like, like put any of the planning in there because 
you don't want to be set up for disappointment, especially in a, the, one of the most uncertain times of our lives. So we had to definitely wait. And um, then we, then they started like understanding how COVID was working. So they started opening up the slots a little bit slower and slower. And so we ended up getting on the list um, for August. So like knowing that it was just like kind of nice to know that like when it was possibly going to happen. But at the same time, like that day that I found out that like, all right, Amanda, like you're going to be having your egg transfer or your embryo transfer. It's like 10 days later. Cause I had to go, I was starting my appointments up again. It was just like tears of happiness and like, oh my God, tears of like, here we go. Like, like, I can't believe this, like, this is going to be it. And it was the, that was definitely built up for sure. Yeah. There was, there was that happiness, but then you also had a little bit of, both of us also had that little bit of anxiety again, because I mean, again, we only had one embryo. Yeah. So we kind of had an all or nothing here that we'd been waiting months for, Mm -hmm. for to, to have the procedure done. So, yeah. And then now we know how COVID works. So when you're doing these appointments, like a lot of them now I've, now I've went from having my partner there to not having him there. And one of the scariest moments of like doing the embryo transfer was not having him there, but what was really interesting is like that I'll always remember is that like, you know, at the appointments, even though you're by yourself, especially going up the elevator and leaving Kevin down at the lobby where I had to go up to get the transfer done. um, The, the, the staff there were amazing where like one was literally like with her gloves on was holding my hand because it's just, it's one of those like scariest moments, but most happiest moments. And then what they did was like, they showed me that it was happening, like that they're like putting the sperm or embryo into my uterus. And it was one of the most fascinating things to see. And then they printed it out and they put it on my chest. So that basically it was like, I was holding our baby already. I thought that was really beautiful. And I obviously it was emotional, started crying, but Definitely wasn't easy not having you there, especially for when you've been there for the majority of it. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I've, How did I've, that make you feel not being there? Um, well, I, I wish that I could be there. I guess I didn't, I guess I understood why I couldn't be there. So I wasn't, I went not mad about it or anything like that, but disappointment would be more the word that I would use. I, I want to be there for all those big moments with you for sure. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I definitely, definitely uh, wanted him there. It's just one of those, like, he, there's no other words for that. But I mean, it just makes you realize that, like, you know, it's not the end all be all. It's not how you would want things. And it's totally out of your hands, a lot of this. And it just goes to show you that, like, it's imperfect action and doing what you need to do to, you know, create these little moments in your life. And what ended up happening is that 10 days later, we found out that the embryo, it did actually implant, which was amazing. And again, I had to go do a blood test in the morning. Um, I, had to, I was at 8, 8am, because they measure by blood as opposed to peeing on a stick, because it's a lot more accurate that way. And um, And they don't want to do anything before 10 days because there's just too many like false positives that happen. So um, basically what ended up happening is that, yeah, they did the blood test. And then they asked me if I wanted, they wanted me to give a call or uh, 
email. Those were the two. I'm like, no, please give me a call. And so they gave me a range around what time it was going to happen, which was around like 1 p.m. or something like that. Yeah. And I came home from work early that day. Yeah. Cause like, I don't know how you function and work in those days. Like I <laughs> was not working that day that my mind was just all over the place. Like squirrels were happening for sure. Yeah. And you were trying to not anticipate too much. Yeah. Yeah, for sure. I do remember that quite clearly. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So when they called like immediately, like you pick up the phone, you're like, hey, Samantha, I'm like, yes. And so we have the news and already you knew that. Oh, yes. As soon as she started talking on the phone, just by the tone of the her voice, I, I knew it was good news. It was definitely good news. And for me, I was like, I need to hear it. Like, I don't even, I wasn't thinking what Kevin was. I was like, okay, let's just get right to the point. And when they said that it was a positive pregnancy and that like, I'm very pregnant. So like my hormones were like definitely on overdrive. It was like, I screeched so loud. Like it was like, I would like won like the Olympics. Yeah, like I, I think you hit the ceiling. Yeah. <laughs> Just um, because it's just like was everything, everything that like you basically had been working hard for it, you finally saw it come out the other side. And it was one of those like felt like one of the biggest moments that I had in my life, like where I could be knowing that that hard work paid off, but knowing that it's like all a numbers game and knowing that like nothing's 120 percent like it's just it was luck of the draw pretty much. Yeah, yeah, I, we were. At that time, I did feel very lucky because we did only have the one embryo and the statistics were only like, I think, 75 percent or 80 percent. I think 70, 75. Yeah, yeah, something like that is successful. So we had that that three quarters chance there and we made it. So I was I was so thankful. Totally. But at the same time, I wanted to say, like, at that point, it was like, you know, you're ready for the next chapter, like whatever that might be. Like we had two things planned. It was either sushi and wine that evening, or it was like celebrating and, you know, going to see our families and, you know, tell sharing them the positive news personally. Um, but at this, I'm just wanted to say like, either way it went, it was just like, you know, it was one of those, like, we're on to the next step, whatever that mean, might be. It just finally felt like this is our end of our chapter and whatever we decide for us, I was ready for like, whatever it was. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And it was a little bit different for us because everyone knew what we were doing. It was going to be a reveal day. It wasn't, yeah. it wasn't a big secret. <laughs> yeah. That's 120%. Like I told my mom that I'm like, I'm going to call you. Don't give me a call. And same with my sister. Like, I'm like, I'll give, I'll do the calling. It's just that like, you want to make sure you have your space because the last thing you want to do is do that phone call that it's like, you know, not going the way that you thought it was going to go. Yeah. Yeah. But I just wanted to share like that, you know, to anyone that's struggling, that's going, that's having a hard time out there. Like the, all I can say to you is that like, you need to trying to say the right thing here. 
it's not easy. I, for myself, I needed to give myself space and permission to feel the feelings that I was feeling, not hold them back. Not everybody is going to understand your journey and what you're going through. I can guarantee you that. So finding that like little bit of that support group is really important because you do need to talk about it, but it has to be right with the right people, especially because a lot of people don't know how to talk to you about this type of stuff because they don't want to pry, but they also are so not in that know of like what to say and what you're going through that they don't want to say anything at all. So I just like, it's one of those, you can't be mad at them. You could just totally understand that they don't get it and just kind of leave it at that. Um, Another thing is, is that like during that time you have to self do a lot of self care. So meaning that like taking, like taking your mornings, like my mornings, because they did become so invasive with the shots and stuff like that. I woke up extra early so that that's not, that didn't become the first thing, a part of my day. I like gave myself a grace period of having tea, or I would do yoga in the morning, or I would do my workout or I would stretch or go for a walk. I would have that space before I woke up and put the ice on my butt and Kevin to, hit me up with that needle because that's the last thing I want to do is wake up. And that's the first thing that's on, like, that's the first thing I'm going to think of. So it's like finding those little magic moments for yourself that you need to do. Another thing I did was like count, like it was during the summer. So there's a lot of monarch butterflies and I would look at the monarch butterflies and I would like it would bring me back to thinking about something positive or just like, you know, that something's going to go right today. Like I had something that where I paid attention to and it just made me feel good. It's just one of those, like you have to self-care the shit out of yourself and don't let anyone tell you otherwise that like, that you did that, like, you know, just, um, this is what you have to do. This is a, like, don't let anyone tell you that, like, you can't do something you have to do it right for you. And so that's all I just wanted to say. I just wanted to share this journey. It didn't, that in part didn't come out the way I wanted it to. It's just more of me giving you permission to do what you need to do to get through the days because there's no perfect, there's no such thing as the perfect day. It's what you create is the perfect day. And sometimes you have to dig a little deeper and sometimes you have to be gentle with yourself. Some days are going to be harder. Some days are going to be like a good day and you just have to take it for what it is at the end of the time at the end of the day. So thank you so much for being a part of this podcast episode, Kev. I really appreciate you speaking and just coming from your perspective on like, you know, what you had to do to help myself, but also to understand the process so that you can be that person, that perfect person for me. So I really appreciate you and love you so much. So thank you. I love you too. Thank you guys for listening to this episode. If this connected or resonated with you, or if you have any questions or concerns, just message me at amanda at reloveandrise.com and we will see you on the next episode. All right, guys, I am sending you guys so much love till next time. And as always, the only way to get this podcast out is you. I thank you guys so much from the bottom of my heart because it would not be where it is without you guys. If you find any value out of this podcast, please like, share, and rate and subscribe. It honestly would mean the world to me. And that is how you can give some love to this podcast back. All right. Thank you guys so much. And until next time, keep being amazing and keep being you.